listen as I read. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, (laughs) for we know, brothers, sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And you received the word in much affliction and with the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in all of Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, for you yourselves know, sisters, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction. For our appeal does not spring forth from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There are verses for today. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so dear to us. Today, we're talking about on the move as a people, a certain kind of people, uh, a people that is a 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 people, um, and frankly, uh, today I get to teach on uh, the verse, the few verses that have literally been the most significant verses in my life and ministry over the last 25 to 30 years. Now, you have a couple verses that are like drive home what you are about, why you do what you do, how you think the way you think, and you got 45 minutes on it. Um, good luck. Um, for books to recommend. In fact, you can see in your sermon notes page uh, that I'm just going to add these along. Um, one is the master plan of evangelism. Uh, it's titled wrong. It really should be the master plan of discipleship uh, by Robert Coleman. Uh, this in my 20s was actually a defining book for me personally and just understanding who Jesus was. It walks through Jesus and takes a look at who he is and makes observations about how he actually went about the doing of ministry. We're going to be referencing uh, that today, the master plan of evangelism. Probably the other second one that had the greatest impact me in my late 20s was uh, The Lost Art of Disciple Making by Leroy Imes uh, from The Navigators. It looks a little bit used, and it is. If you really want to know what it looks like to uh, uh, functionally and, and be a disciple maker for Christ, that was the book that uh, had the biggest impact on me. When it comes to doing church, this has been one of the most uh, impacting books, The Trellis and the Vine by Colin Marshall and uh, Tony Payne from Australia. Australia, a truly an impacting book for me and how to think about church and all of that brought into it uh, truly uh, good uh, for sure. And then another one more recent, Francis Chan, Multiply, just a really good book, kind of bringing a lot of that together. Um, just a few resources there for you to take a look at. Um, well, last Sunday we entered chapter 2 of Thessalonians. You there? Bible Thessalonians chapter 2, awesome, love you guys with that. Uh, In chapter 2, Paul begins by stating that their ministry efforts in verse 1 in Thessalonica were not in vain. 
They were not in vain. They were not empty. They were not without impact. That's huge. I talked about that last Sunday. That's a huge thing that their ministry efforts were uh, impacting. They were evaluating that. They were thinking about that. We want what we do to matter. We want what we do to make a difference for the kingdom of God, and they're thinking about it. And, and yet the question is based on what? What do we, what do we base our uh, evaluating whether ministry is impacting or not? By the way, all of life is ministry. So all day today when I talk about ministry, all of life is ministry in every capacity, at home, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, everywhere you go here at church, everywhere, all of life is ministry. And we talked last week, five marks of ministry on game out of verses one through four, when the mission is on game, when the message is on game, because in verse three, chapter two, he says, not springing from error, but it's message on game. When the motive is on game, you know, it's not from impurity. It's not trying to use people for self-purposes. When the method is on game, and that's where he says in verse 3, not from an attempt to deceive. If you are here last Sunday, we talked about how it's the idea of fish hook. It's, it's not fish hook ministry. It's not painted, nice-looking thing just to grab a hold and snag people. That's not what it is. It's not a game. It's not fish hooking people. It's not deceiving people. And then number five, a mandate is on game. And he talks about how they were approved by God and trusted with the gospel. They're not self-appointed. They're not self-entrusted. Um, and for all of us, Matthew 20, 19 and 20, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have been given a commission to be a disciple maker as well with that. So those are the measuring marks of ministry, but what does doing ministry like that really look like? Uh, there are marks, but then there are ingredients, like, we could talk about what are five marks of a good cupcake. <laughs> and I would be useless other than chocolate and icing, okay? But we could talk about what are four, five marks of a good cupcake, but then the big question is, but what are the ingredients of a good cupcake? That's what today is about, not cupcakes, Today is about ingredients. We've looked at the marks, now the ingredients. So we've gone from five marks. We're going to take a look here at three ingredients. Let me start with verse 5, chapter 2. Let's just catch up here. 5 and 6 kind of repeat what we covered last Sunday, and let me show you that from the text. Uh, verse 5, for we never came. That's mission. There's a whole mission behind that, coming to Thessalonica. For we came, that's the mission, with words, that's the message of flattery. That's talking about the method. For we never came with words of flattery, that's mission, message, and method, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. That's motive. We've got four of them so far. Uh, God is our witness as to that. Then verse six, nor did we seek glory from people, that's continuing with the motive, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. That's the mandate. Why are they doing what they're doing? Because God had told them to be doing what they're doing. God was their mandate, not self-mandated on their own. So verses one through six state these kind of foundational marks of, of their ministry and how they did uh, or, or what were the marks of their ministry. And it's kind of like, not this, not this, not this, not this. Uh, and then verse seven, but we were. Turning point. This is the point here in a text where it should really grab your ears. He's been going through saying, this is not how we did it. I've been taking it to the positive and saying how they did it. And verse 7, but we did it like this. Uh, but we were. Listen, friends, I want for you to understand. We are right now about to enter in and learn and understand how Paul, Silas, and Timothy did ministry. Now, as a pastor, that's a big deal to me. But for you, that's a big deal as well. Because I remember in my 20s, wanting to be a man at that time who was married with a couple children, wanting to be God's kind of man, God's kind of husband, God's kind of dad, serving in our church, wanting to be effective in what we were doing with our church and with people, wanting to have an impact for the Lord at this time. And this is where I began to come to ask the question, so what does doing ministry look like? I mean, how should we do it? What are the ingredients of what ministry is all about? And these are the ingredients. And by the way, man, 
may I remind you, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said, you became imitators of us. So when he's telling them how they did ministry, we come out of that with the idea that why was Thessalonica, the church in Thessalonica, so on the move? Because they imitated how Paul, Silas, and Timothy did ministry. So the key question then is, how did Paul, Silas, and Timothy do ministry, right? Okay, we are there. Now, let's pause with that. Let's do a little imagineering together. By the way, that's a Disney term. Let's do a little, and it is. Uh, let's do a little imagineering together here. Let's imagine that the largest ever church conference is going to be held here in Indiana, in Indianapolis. And uh, let's just imagine it's like the best ever conference ever uh, in the United States. No, 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 let's go bigger. We're imagineering. Uh, the world, ever. And in this conference, is taking here right in our uh, uh, Proximity. It's announced that this year's main speakers are Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Okay, like I'm telling you, I'm there, are you? I mean, like if Paul, Silas, and Timothy are going to be there and they're leading the main sessions, I'm telling you, I'm there. And by the way, and then you read in the, in the, in the, 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 the literature about it, or online about it, that they're going to be talking about three ingredients on how we did ministry. Three ingredients. Not 28, not even one, but three. Three's doable, right? Uh, three. And I'm like, I'm super there, because I can maybe handle three things. I don't do well with eight things, but three I might be able to actually put my mind around. So we decide to go, and, and we're there, and they just completed session number one in, in the dome, and it was awesome. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy lead it, and get this, they lead it out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I mean, can you believe that? Uh, that's what they teach it on, and they're talking about, and they're talking about, hey, how we, we saw and evaluated our own ministry, and how we want for you to be using measuring marks for all of that. Okay, we're total imagineering here. And now it's session two. Three ingredients for how we did ministry. I am telling you, I am so on the edge of my seat right now wanting to be able to hear what Paul, Silas, and Timothy said, how they did ministry. Now, pause within the pause. How did Jesus do ministry? How did Jesus do ministry? I mean, what was his ministry philosophy? What was his ministry strategy? How did he go about making disciples? I think we would agree that how Jesus did ministry was probably on game. True? Okay, like the second person of the Trinity in the flesh, on the earth, living amongst, doing ministry. Yeah, I think he's got it on game. Here's a couple thoughts. I'm gonna steal a comment actually from one of the books. Uh, how would I sum it up? Jesus ministered to the masses and discipled a few. That's it. I think that's the statement on how Jesus did ministry. He ministered to the masses, and he discipled a few. By the way, ministering and discipling has a little bit of a unique nuance within what's going on within the comment there. He ministered to the masses, discipled a few, but the question I'm asking is, but how? I would suggest he did three things. I would suggest that it started from a place of he loved people. Can you prove that? Yeah, I think I can. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Now, is it true that what Jesus was doing and what the Godhead is doing is for Jesus' glory and the Godhead's glory true? Okay, but here's the deal. We're not God. Okay? And yet, it is for his glory. And yet, in it, it's also stating he's not just doing this because it's like, oh, gee, come on, Father, do I really have to do this? No, none of that. He really loves you. He really loved people. John 3.16, it started from a place of genuine love for. That would be one. The other thing I would say that was you think about how Jesus ministered to the masses and discipled a few is he taught them. He taught him in various manners. He taught him in large groups. He taught him in small groups. He, he taught him in one-on-one, -on -one, Nicodemus. He, he engaged in teaching to unbelievers. He engaged in teaching those who were following him. He engaged in teaching his critics. He engaged in teaching those who hated his guts. He engaged in teaching with m women. He engaged in teaching with men. He engaged with teaching in all nationalities, by the way, not just the Jews. By the way, have you watched Jesus' recently released DVD series or 
his listen to his podcast series or work through his Bible study books. You, you've gotten those, haven't you? I mean, have you, have you not gone through Jesus' own structured systematic theology courses and joined one of his life stage hobby interest men's groups? You've been a part of that, have Isn't it interesting that God in the flesh came and we don't have any of that produced but, well, we have the word of God. Yes, we do. But we don't have anything directly from Jesus talking about the books or the programs. Nothing's wrong with books. Nothing's wrong with programs. But I am driving a point home today. Why didn't he leave any of that behind? Because, like, I would love that DVD series. Friends, we uh, tend to make the simplistic complicated. Illustration, Old Testament laws by the time you get into the New Testament. God had given his Old Testament laws by the time you get to the New Testament. It is out of bounds, out of control with what God's people had done with what God had put out. They made the simplistic complicated He had a deep love for people. He taught people. I'm going to throw in a third thing. I think it's just stunning to me that how much time he just engaged with people. This is a guy, when you go in the Gospels, walking around, investing himself, not just from a distance, but he's with. He even tells the disciples, follow me, like live with me. In Mark 4, in the boat, feeding 5,000. He's eating with people. He's laughing with people. He's walking with people. He does Gethsemane with people. He does the Via Dolorosa to the cross with people. Jesus ministered to people out of a love for people, teaching them, sharing his own life with them. Maybe imitate that. But I'm curious. I wonder how Paul, Silas, and Timothy would sum up what they did. Hmm, let's take a look. Let's take a look. Three ingredients Verse seven, but we were gentle or or an infant among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. (laughs) At the conference and they're telling this, but here's how we did ministry. We were gentle in Thessalonica. Oh, Thessalonica was a little bit different in Corinth. In Corinth, we loved you enough to kind of get on you. But in Thessalonica, where it's going on with it, what's happening? They are being gentle like a nursing mom. No, no, but Doug, 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 but Paul, Silas, and Timothy. I mean, leaders are strong. Leaders are bold. Leaders, leaders are decisive. All leaders, are, all good leaders are type A's, right? You know, leaders, are, they run businesses. They run countries. They're bold. They're in charge. They're often loud like I am right now. Leaders tell people where to go and what to do and how to do it. Leaders are CEOs. Okay. But that's not at all what Paul said. In fact, you get an entirely opposite picture of that, don't you? Gentle. Gentle. Gentle's like the opposite of rough. Like a nursing... Bear with me today. All my guts are out front. Like a nursing mom. Now, there's a manly thing. Why are they using that term? What other relationship activity going on is like that? I'm a guy. Never did that. But I've seen my wife. There is something... going on with that whole nursing thing that is unlike anything else.
remember Karen nursing our kids and her taking her finger and just right across her cheek and just looking. What other kind of relationship is going on like that? And of all the illustrations, of all the things that they could say, they did ministry like that. Where's, where's leadership like that today? Where's ministry being done like that today? I actually think there's a lot of that going on here. And I'm thrilled about it. Of all the images that could be used to picture how they did ministry, it's that picture of a nursing mom. Hey, I just want to tell you, that's how you do ministry. Oh, ministry is all of life. Listen, guys, this is not a call to become women. And women, that is in no way an insult to you, insult to you. It's just not for men to become women. It's not women to become men. But there is a picture on what's to take place and that is a core centering basis upon which all relationship of ministry is to be coming out of. And I'm just going to say it straight up. If you're a harsh, brass, hard-nosed, bully-your-way person, that is not this picture. If that is who you are, if that's what you think leadership is, I call you today to rethink and re-see. And I call pastors today to rethink and re-see this all around the world. Can you imagine being in that conference? Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying, we're gentle like a nursing mom with her little baby. We treated our people like that. By the way, in that, was there correction times that take place with a nursing mom? Oh yeah, I'm not going into it, but oh yeah. Like, <laughs> no. A nursing mom does correct her babies. But can you imagine the crowd at this meeting? The people there, I'm especially talking to my own ministry leader world. What's a core philosophy, core strategy? Gentle, like a nursing mom with her own babies. And ministry, many of the ministry leaders in the crowd, I think, are getting really nervous. But I demand respect for my degrees, for my title, for my position. No, but the verse right before. We could have made demands as apostles, but we didn't. We were gentle among you like a nursing mom. By the way, have you noticed how our raising children is really slow? Your parent recognized that before? Like, uh, what's with kids? Like, a horse, the day it's born, walking. Like, like three years, have its own child and raise it. Last night at our house, we were watching Max, our 10-month-old grandson. He, 10 months, 10 months, he stood for 10 seconds not holding anything. Karen and I are like, did you see that? Did you see that? Luke and Gail weren't here. Neither, neither. They're right here. (laughs) And we saw it. 10 months, a horse is walking in one day. Come on, kid. (laughs) 
Ministry ingredient number one, a love for people. A love for people. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse 8, so. So being affectionately desirous of you. By the way, the word so, it, it's so thus. It's, it's, it's so what was just said now that that's on the table. So as a result of, of being gentle among you like a nursing mother with her children. So here, here's how we did ministry. So being affectionately desirous of you, we loved you. New International Version says that. We loved you so much. It's coming out of that place. It starts there in that place. By the way, that's what a nursing mom will do. A nursing mom will charge hell for her little baby. Right? And she will. And so it's a love for them. We loved you so much. Love compels. This kind of love, this agape love, compels. It's an affection that compels to do what? It says the text, to be ready to share. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you. This kind of love compels it doesn't hold you back. It's like, I can't stop it in this. It's you share, willing to share. By the way, have you noticed sharing is hard? Whether you're 10 months old or you're 55, sharing is hard. Um, I'm talking about sharing your stuff, sharing your time, sharing your space, sharing yourself. Sharing is not natural. Mine is. Since we're talking about kids, like what kid first words are, I agape you. <laughs> it's like mine and McDonald's. I mean, that's it. It's just me, it's just mine, and no. When you share something, there's always a reason behind why you share something, by the way whether that's sharing part of your cupcake, whether that's sharing of your things, sharing of your time, sharing of your space, sharing of yourself. A deep affection for. I want to ask a very serious question. I mean this very serious. Do you love people? Of course I do. Of course I do. No, I'm only, do you love people? By the way, and I'm talking about you and not the person or persons around you. Do you love people? I mean, are people, as you just evaluate yourself, are they a means for your own self-interest, for your own self-desires, for your own self-goals, for your own self-objectives? Because, friends, it can go there easily and quickly, can it? Are people there to get you what you want? or where you want to go? Or, or is there just a serious, is there just a do you love people and affection for their good and affection for their benefit? And I just say if at the core of it all, if that's really not the case, if that's really not the case maybe in your life right now, this is where you need to start right here. It's not about what people do for you. It's not about even what church does for you. It's about others. It's about loving them at the very core of that because what, out, what the other two things we're about to talk about here don't matter if you don't have a love for people. They will just be falsified and fakeified. Without the love for people, the others don't matter. By the way, John 15, 12, Jesus said, love one another, how? As I have loved you. That just gives you the core, at the very core of everything Jesus did in that statement. Everything that I've done, everything is an expression of love for you, for your benefit, for your good, for your blessing, for your growth. Back to the imaginary conference. Ministry ingredient number one, they put up on the screen, love for people. Ministry ingredient number two, they put up on the screen, is share the gospel. Share the gospel. 
Look at the middle of verse 8. We were ready to share with you the gospel of God. Not their own gospel. It's really interesting that they clarify in the language that it's just not our gospel, not someone else's gospel, but whose gospel? What, whose good news? It's, it's God's good news. Out of a love for people in Thessalonica, out of this gentle, genuine, sacrificial affection like that of a nursing mother, they share the gospel of Jesus with them. They're well pleased to share it. They're well pleased to impart it, to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think we can clearly assume from the context of the, uh, of the text that the way that they are sharing the gospel with them is in this idea of like gentle nursing mom. Not them first and foremost. Not as apostles coming in and saying, hey, by the way, I want for you to know, we, I got the title, I got the degree, I got the call, and all you saps need to hear what I have to say. That was not going on in Thessalonica. Instead, what was going on is gentleness like a nursing mother. By the way, mother parenting, and especially a nursing mother, is aware of what that child needs at the moment. It's not like, come on, it's time to walk like a horse. They understand where that kid is at. And they even correct and move around that. It is a love for them that involves the sharing of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the gospel is? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came in the flesh, walked on the earth, was crucified, nailed to a cross without sin to be able to provide the opportunity for anyone, as the Bible says, to all who would receive him, to them who would receive his name, to them he would give them eternal life, forgiveness, redemption, drawn back. Man, can I tell you, that is like a mom giving up of himself, of herself, for the betterment of those that they cannot do for themselves. A child cannot survive on his own. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, providing forgiveness and salvation for all who would receive. What a sweet message to share. Love people. Share the gospel. That's it. That's what ministry is about. Okay? No. It's interesting because uh, I might say this. That actually is a lot of ministry at times. In fact, did you see in the text the way it's even worded? In, in, in the Greek, it actually has the not just, the idea of the gospel. We loved you so much that we did not just share the gospel. That, to me, is literally in a ministry capacity with what my main role here in this church is, is one of the most intriguing statements in all of the scriptures. The Apostle Paul saying, I did not just share with you the gospel. Did you hear what I'm saying in that? Because it's not just that. It means that there's something else from that. Uh, so ministry, we can love people generally, and we can share the gospel with people generally, but that's not how Paul, Silas, and Timothy completed the reality of their ministry, correct? Because there is something else. It wasn't just sharing that. It was sharing something else. What was it? It was sharing their life. Sharing their life. Friends, the gospel of God is designed to be shared within the context of your life. Let me say that again. The gospel of God is designed to be shared within the context of your life. One of the things that can be most frustrating for children growing up in a home with parents that love Jesus is that it can be at times where it's like, I know you love me and I know you shared the gospel with me, but how about you sharing your life with me? 
Ministry is not just loving people and sharing the gospel. Boy, Doug, that just sounds so unbiblical. No, it's not. It is biblical that we share, we love people, we share the gospel, and that is in with the mix of our lives. The ingredients in bread, if you don't have the yeast in the bread, that is one flat bread. You call that a pancake, right? And that's not what is intended to be. It is the sharing your life that is the yeast within the whole of the ingredients. Loving people like Paul, Silas, and Timothy love people is not distance loving. It is together loving. It's doing life together with them. We'll even see more of this as the text continues to unfold and we learn more about the history of what took place in Thessalonica. By the way, I want to say this. Sharing your life is inconvenient. Let me spell that again for you. It is inconvenient. That actually is okay to go amen. And it is risky. And it is vulnerable. And it is demanding. And it is hard. And it will bring hurt. And it will bring disappointment. And it will bring suffering. And it will bring rejection. Oh, by the way, just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy experienced. Oh, yeah, and just like Jesus experienced. In fact, it's so hard, it costs so much that I would suggest this is why most local churches and this is why most of God's people who have defined sharing your life as a program or a class or an event. We've exchanged gospel relationships for gathering gospel data. Maturity becomes defined about how many blanks in the academic question of information about the Bible I can fill in. Okay, I'm all for information and learning our Bibles better with that. But that is not the full definition of maturity. We've exchanged gospel relationships for for gospel data. We've defined sharing our lives as hanging around others. Loved ones, I'm just going to tell you straight up with you here today because I'm it's all on the table today. When looking at program church, I'm just not impressed. I'm just not impressed. I'm not impressed with what comes out after time of all the programs, 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 programs. Hey, you know the statement, there's an app for it? Here's how the church does it. There's a program for that. Hey, I got something going on in my life. Hey, we got a program for that. I have a financial need. Hey, we got a program for that. You know, I want to be able to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, we got a program for that. I want to find out what the Bible says about Jesus. Hey, we got a program for that. Sign up for that. Hey, I want to get more involved in the ministry. Hey, we got a program for that. Am I right? Yeah. Boy, Doug, you're being kind of hard on churches. Yeah, I am. Nothing is wrong with programs. Nothing is wrong with events. But when they busy us off-center, we have a problem. Churches have become busy, busy, busy. Program, program, program. And we have lost the ingredient of share your life. In fact, on my side of the career of it, I'm going to have us pastors and church leaders take the responsibility for it. Because I think over the last 20 or so years, church leaders have trained and raised Christians to be consumers, not disciple makers. Churches have been raising Christians to be consumers, not disciples and disciple makers. And there is a difference. Friends, I think that if Paul, Silas, and Timothy were here in Indianapolis and were leading this imaginary conference in my Disney head and had a taste of ministry strategy as to what's going on in 
most leadership in churches today, and even I'll carry that on because ministry is all of life and most, of pe- most people's lives today, I think they'd be saying, church, God's people, reconsider what you are doing. Reconsider it. Think it through. Connect the dots to where what you are doing, where it leads. Is it looking like how Jesus did ministry? Is it looking like how we, Paul, Silas, and Timothy did ministry? I'm going to tell you, I am just stunned by the fact Jesus ministering through the Gospels and nowhere does he tell about all the specific programs that you are to have in place. I would think that if that was the really central, most important thing, that God would make sure that that's said. But what does he say and what does he lay out? He lays out his life, he lays out his teaching, and he lays out his love. That's the ingredients of it. So why is the church in Thessalonica on the move unlike the church in Corinth? Because they were imitating that. Chapter 1, Paul says that. They were imitators of them. And Paul and Silas, so here's the church in Thessalonica is imitating how they saw Paul, Silas, and Timothy do ministry. Paul, Silas, and Timothy doing ministry are imitating how Jesus did ministry. And I would suggest... Let's consider reconnecting the dot. What does 1 Thessalonians 2.8 look like here at this church? I think it looks like God's people arriving to church not as a consumer, but as a 1 Thessalonians 2.8 thinking person, redeemed in Christ, compelled with a deep love for people, coming in this door is not just excited about what you're going to get today, but about what eyes looking around, compelled by love. By the way, if you're brand new here, if you're newer here, I'm talking to you as well. Karen and I, over the years, when I was back in my business days and that, visiting churches with that, I tell you, I just came in and it probably happens here at times as well that we don't necessarily do that great a job at being able to connect everyone and connect the dots in it. Totally get it. Totally been there. Totally live it. And I'm sure we partly do that. We don't want to be that, but I'm sure that's going on. But I'll even say for you, just dive in. If you know Christ is your Savior, just dive in. Full out. God's people loving on our kids on Sundays with the First Thessalonians 2.8 mindset. Having been involved with kids' ministries, another church, a large church for five years with that and leading that, I will tell you, I love every Sunday what's going on in over there with our adults and teens involved on the floor, rolling around, laughing, changing diapers, wiping snot and tears and loving on our kids teaching them and sharing your life with them and you come out sometimes exhausted from it, good. Because if you came out with no effort put in, that's not first us to eight. It's teens going to student ministry, not simply to get but with a mindset of 1 Thessalonians 2.8 with all the other teens. It's adults going to small group, not just as Consumers on what am I going to get out the material, but compelled to be 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Can I say it this way? Who cares about the material? 1 Thessalonians 2.8, the living life out of your small group. Because it's first about life together. What else is going on here that is 1 Thessalonians 2.8? I'm going to share a couple. Karen and I, when we drive in, some Sundays we see PhD engineer and executive accountant putting up flags. Thank you. How cool is that? Putting up flags just to kind of like make a little added oomph as you come in. That's loving people. One of them at least is in this room and I thank you. It's parking lot, men and women, praying and then purposely loving on you as you come in this parking lot. That matters. You have no idea how a set of eyes and a smile and a lovingly welcoming you in, even if you don't talk, matters. True? 
And I will tell you, Disney has that down. And thank you for doing that here. It's greeters who don't just have a badge, but are compelled to first thus to eight people. It's the center of our high five. I don't know if you've seen this, but this rocks. Why? What's going on in the center here? Because this is you. This is people who are sewing thing, a master chef, basketball. We've got like a ninja warrior thing, chess master, survival kids, kids choir. I wouldn't be in that one. Angry birds. Sounds cool. Cupcake decorating. Listen, this is you saying, you know what? I want to take something that I love, that I like, that maybe even I don't like, but I'm going to do so that I can be around our kids here, even if it's for an hour or two sometime, to share my life with them. Boom, booyah, everything I can think of. This is 1 Thessalonians 2.8 all over it. Amen? And thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. And I could go on, but I can't. The local church in Thessalonica is on the move because they are 1 Thessalonians 2.8 people. A genuine love for people that compels you to share the gospel and your life. Today is just getting it out on the table. Stretching you, maybe pushing you. Helping you to think and consider. And here's just a couple final statements. To be this, it will cost you. But didn't Jesus say that's what the Christian life was all about? And by the way, isn't what Jesus did in doing this, didn't this end up costing him? No, you see, costing is a mark of the Christian life. This will cost you. This will cost us. I'm even going to say it. We would have more people here at this church if we had more programs. I'm just not about it. By the way, I also note as another final statement, take one of those ingredients off of the screen and it's ministry off game. You, you can preach the gospel and share your life but not love people. Got a problem. You can love people, share your life, but we're missing an ingredient. You're like, what's, what's that without the gospel? I've already talked about it. You can love people, share the gospel, but if it's not with your life, that's not the full mix of it. It's just going to go flat. Another comment. You can do this. And as a guy in my latter 20s, not academically wired, not super smart, not in some of those kinds of fields that all the other pastors I had seen, not even a type A kind of guy. In all of it, as I had seen, I never thought that I could do vocational ministry because I didn't fit the mix of what I had always seen. You had to be type A, you had to be super smart, and you had to be, I don't know what else, but I never was any of them. And then when I come to this, I'm like, wait a second. Whether I'm a dad, a husband, a man, whether I'm a pastor, whether whatever capacity, man, I, 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 I can come to love people and I can come to share the gospel with people and I can share my life with people. I can do that and so can you. And so can you. So for me, one of the greatest things out of today, this is an encouragement to you. This is a help and a hope to you. You can do this. And for those that are, thank you, thank you, thank you, and more, right? Evaluating and checking ourselves is a good thing. Part of my job is saying to ourselves what we wouldn't necessarily say to ourselves every day and pushing ourselves. And if you're not doing this, this is a call to come. This is a call. This is a call. This is what the Lord wants showing in your life. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what is happening here. Thank you for what is taking place among and amongst. Thank you so much 
for how loving people and sharing the gospel and sharing lives is happening here. Honestly, unlike any church I've ever been a part with, genuinely and affectionately, I feel this church is a church of learners, a church trying to figure these things out, trying to work it out. And yet, God, for me in my life over the last 25 to 30 years, this has been the verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, that has been driving me in fathering, in parenting, in being a husband, in being a man, in being a businessman, and being a pastor, and being a life, oh God, trying to figure this out, wrestle this out, work this through, and oh God, I pray that this would be us increasingly so. A church that is not churching everything, but a church that is 1 Thessalonians 2, aiding everything. A genuine, increasing, growing together, not all at the same place of it, love for people. And God saying that, I realize there's hurt in this room. There's relationship tragedies in this room. Angst from relationship with family and friends from with churches. And I realize all of that is a hurtful, hurtful thing, being burned and hurt by others in life. But God, that is not an excuse to still not love people from the perspective of how you love people. And God, it's out of that love that we share the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would not be a church that's about sharing ourselves or sharing how awesome we might think that we are or something ridiculous like that. God, I pray that the central thing that would be the lasting, enduring thing that is taught and teached and pointed to is the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, the the thing that is the component that, that holds, if you will, kind of all that and shows through all that is the sharing of our lives in this. And oh Lord, we live in a culture, we live in a day and a time to where we, we, we don't want to do that by culture and by nature. But Paul, Silas, and Timothy risked it all. And I pray we would increasingly be that kind of people as well. Gentle. Like a nursing mom. With a love that compels to share the phenomenal news of Jesus Christ and to do it within the reality of real life living. Oh God, more in me in us, I pray. Father, now as we get to experience rejoicing together in a few baptisms, how exciting. There is not one of these baptisms that take place today where these three components were not a key part of it. Being loved, sharing the gospel with lives. All the glory to you, in Christ's name.